So we're gonna we're gonna pick back up where we were Tuesday night. Same couple of scriptures to start with that we started with, I believe, on Tuesday. In Matthew uh, chapter uh, twenty three, we're gonna start there. And and to me, Matthew chapter twenty three really sets the uh, stage for what Jesus says in twenty four. Because the glory departed the temple. And I believe it departed everything in that first order. That when we when we see this, when we see the significance of it, that first order, the glory was done of the first order. And many Christians want to come back rebuild it, reestablish it, redo it, and that glory is gone. So we're dealing with the glory of the latter house. And uh, when we look at this picture, we see in Matthew 23, Verse 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings, and you would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate, empty, void. For I say unto you, you shall not see me henceforth till you say, Blessed is he that comes or cometh in the name of the Lord. So you won't see him anymore till you see him through those coming in his name. Now I'll leave that alone for now, but he he left the temple. And when he left the temple, their house was left to them desolate. There was no more purpose for the temple. It was over. In Matthew 24, going right into verses 1 through 3, and we'll probably spend some time in verses 1 through 3 in this uh, sharing. It says, And Jesus went out from the temple and was going on his way, and his disciples came to show him the buildings of the temple. But he answered and said unto them, See, you not all these things, verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And he said on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately saying, tell us when shall these things be and what shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the world. Okay. Now, a lot of people get wrapped up with this, the sign of his coming and the end of the world. Well, if I was a Jewish person in that day, I probably had a different understanding because he was talking about, they were asking him, when will this be that not one stone will be left upon another? What will be the sign of thy coming and the end of the age? That's really what this is dealing with, is the ending of that age. And 
a lot of people present this today and they'll present it. Well, this is historic and it is, it's historic. And then there's another group of people that say as well, it's futuristic. And I'm probably say it's both historic and it's now. There's a literal fulfillment that, that happened that took place that the temple was destroyed and it was wiped off the face of the earth. But there is a spiritual comprehension that must come into our hearts. And this is what we're concerned with, is the spiritual comprehension coming into our hearts. To understand this system's no more. And to see the fulfillment of it. That's the part that believers have to see is the fulfillment. And we're going to, the next few weeks, talk about what that means, the fulfillment. So as we see this, Jesus has left the temple. They've come to him and asked him, you know, trying to show him the beauty of the temple. And Jesus is telling them it's going to be destroyed. It's coming to its end. And uh, I don't know that we get the significance of it. The old temple, the place of sacrifices, the ceremonies, the priesthood was coming to an end. If you and I lived in that day and we were Jewish, everything we were probably taught from our childhood revolved around that temple. And Jesus is telling his disciples it's going to be torn down. Now, I grew up, we grew up in church, what we call going to church. And we still have that mentality of going to the house of God. For years, that mentality was in me. I'm going to God's house. Much like these Jewish people that were going to the house of God. Now, the house of God in the under Moses, the tabernacle in the wilderness and the temple built with Solomon, housed the glory of God. You can go back and read it, that God would come down and dwell there in a cloud and a fire. This second temple, the rebuilt temple, nowhere that I find, does it ever talk about the fire and cloud filling that house? Maybe I've read over it, but I don't see it. So Jesus, to me, was the Ark of the Covenant coming back in the house. I don't believe the Ark was even in that second temple. So when Jesus showed up their Ark, the housing of the presence of God was no longer between these cherubim of glory that was was you know made of wood and gold you know they they were the cherubim of glory were beaten out of gold but they were set on a wooden box with the seat of government or the throne set there on that box no longer was that the case the person entered the house so God's glory came into the house, I believe, in the person of Jesus Christ. And that's why it's so significant what he said, now your house is left to you desolate. 
because Jesus left the temple. It had served its purpose. Okay. Now, when I look at that temple, for example, everything that was in that building, the gate, the door, the veil, all that was around that temple. Where, where's all that realized at? In the Lord Jesus Christ. Who says he's the gate? He does. Who says he's the door? He does. Who is the veil? He was. So what that temple represented had moved from a natural building to a person. So the gate, you know, we don't hear much about the gate, but the gate to me was the way into the brazen altar. And Jesus, of course, said, I'm the way. So when you enter into his gates, you know, we, we sing the song, I'll enter into his gates with thanksgiving and my mouth enter into his courts with praise. When they wrote that, they were most likely writing or were writing about this temple or tabernacle. Why? Because they came into the gate and that's where the sacrifice for their sins was made. That's when they came into the gate. So I enter his gates with thanksgiving in my mouth. I'm thanking the Lord. If I was in the Jewish culture, I'm thanking the Lord for removing my sin there at the altar. So the gate that separated Israel from the world, you could say, is realized in the person of the Lord, Jesus Christ. The altar that they come to is realized in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The labor that the priests were washed by is realized where at? In the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. There, there at the cross, what ran out? Water and what? Blood. So when you come into the cat gate, into the courts, of the house of God, you're no longer met with a brazen altar. You're met with the person that bore the judgment of sin. Okay? You know, you know the priests are no longer washed with the labor. They're washed with the water of the word. See, we're cleansed through him. So the cleansing of blood and water is realized in a person. That's why this temple has to be removed, because as long as this temple is hanging out here over our minds, we're looking for something in something other than the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why there has to be the internal working of it. It physically was destroyed. But internally, it has to be removed from our hearts and minds. 
See, Hebrews 10 says, verse 1. Now, I feel the Spirit of the Lord. <laughs> Hebrews 10, verse 1 says, for, for the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then they would not have ceased to been offered, because that the worshipers once purged would have no more conscience of sins, but in those sacrifices there's a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me and burnt offering and sacrifices for sin that I had no pleasure. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do thy will, O God. Above, when he said, sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin, thou wouldest not, neither have pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first that he may establish the second by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So here, this offering of his body was what satisfied God once for all. This was the removing of the sins they satisfied all the offerings. There wasn't just one offering. Satisfied them all. And we are sanctified, set apart forever, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ, that our conscience would be made pure. Okay? So all that happened through the person of the Lord. Now, when I come to that altar, I probably don't comprehend all that, right? When I get born again, I don't comprehend what the writer in Hebrews said here. I may comprehend my sins have been washed away. I've been forgiven. That's probably about all that I comprehend. A lot, a lot of times, believers don't comprehend much more than that. Because if you... You identify with the Lord here at this altar. You have to go identify with him in the labor. And then you have to come into the door. And he says, I am the light of the world. And there's the candelabra filled with light, filled with oil. And what does that candelabra do? It shows the showbread. And you begin to eat his body through the light that you see. And when you eat his body, you begin to identify with more of him. See, there's this continual identifying with the Lord. And that's why this house has to be removed out of your heart, because now this house is known in the person of Jesus Christ. That's where this house is realized. Nowhere else. So the old system has to be taken away, and that's what Jesus said. You know, the writer of Hebrews, he came to take away the first, to establish the second. 
not just to take away one, but to establish one, another. And so many people know the old's taken away. But are they established in the second? Are they established in him as the house? Are they eating his flesh and drinking his blood? That's the question. But this, but this picture of this house in Israel, I mean, I mean, when you begin to look at it, and I, I have a lot of scriptures I can read tonight. We'll see how many I do read. But, but when God begins to take them out of, out of Egypt, what, what does he say to them? I'm going to take you to the place where I dwell, to the sanctuary that my hands made. So from the time they get across the Red Sea, God is bringing a people to himself. That's all type and shadow. He's bringing them to Canaan, a land flowing with milk and honey. A great land. So he's bringing them out of bondage into a life that is flowing. I mean, if we could just get a hold of that. Israel comes out of bondage to a flowing life. Now, what does it sound like? I said this this morning. Sounds like Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. So he's, so he's bringing them from one place to another, to the place his hands are made. And in, in type and shadow, this comes forth. Starts with Moses. Moses gets caught up in the mountain. And he goes up to God. And God tells him to build the tabernacle according to the pattern that I show thee. Now, we can debate what God showed him. We could say, well, in heaven, there was a building just like the building <laughs> Moses put on earth, and maybe that was what he saw. But all of that represented a man. What Moses saw was fulfilled in Christ. But he brought the pattern into the earth. And the pattern was given to Israel. And it was given for a time. Till the fulfillment came. That's why not one stone could be left upon another because the fulfillment of what God had said came. And that really has to be torn down in our hearts. Because if we're not careful, we'll try to walk in the pattern. And, and I, I said this recently in a meeting I was in. If you have the shade of a building and you're 95 degree heat, you're down in Florida, for example, and it's 95 degrees out. And inside you've got air conditioning cooling it off to 72 degrees. Okay. And you go walk into the shadow of the building. You don't get the benefit of that building. You may have a 
little benefit. You know, it's not the same as standing out here in the hot sun because you're in the shadow. So there's some benefit there in the shadow, but you don't have the benefit of the building. To get the benefit of the building, I got to come on into the house. And when I come out of the shadow and come into the house, what do I have? I have the benefit of the building. I have the cooling air. And see, if I stand out here in the shadow, I don't have the benefit of the reality. And we got to be careful that we don't want to stay in the shadow of what he's done and not come on to the reality of it. And that's what the believers have to be careful. So he's our altar. He's our labor. He's our glory. Everything that was represented in that temple we need to see Jesus as all and all. He's everything that was there. He fulfills the whole house. Search the scriptures in them. You think you have life, but these testify of me. So the fulfillment of that house of God is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so the house has to come down. The old System has to come down. Well, not just the house, everything it represented. What all did it represent? God said, here, I'll meet with you. You come to that house, and that's where he's going to meet. That's also in the book of Exodus. That he told them to make the cherubims of glory, to put it into the holy of holies, and there's the place I will meet you. According to the words he spoke, he didn't just meet them anyway either. He was going to meet them there according to the word or the law. So they came to that house. That was the meeting place. And see this mindset we have. And, and I mentioned this a while ago. I grew up believing I'm going to the house of God and there God's going to meet me. Probably everybody on this meeting did at some point. But see, God meets us in the house, <laughs> who is Christ. That's where he meets us. He meets us in the person of Christ. And when we come to understand that, he's in a continual meeting with us. So it's not Sunday morning when I go to a building. Now you are the temple of the living God. You're one with him. You're dwelling in him. You're living in him. So the place of meeting is in him. Yes, that's where you meet. God in him. So you meet him in Passover. You meet him in Pentecost. You meet him in fullness. And I don't believe this is a one time in any one of those. You know, we, we kind of have this idea where we leave Passover, we go on to Pentecost, and we go on to Tabernacles. I have maybe a, a little bit different view. I, I almost think every one of those just keep expanding. 
I see Passover a whole lot bigger than I used to. So I'm still learning things in Passover. So I'm still meeting Jesus as the Passover lamb. So I'm still understanding his death, burial, and resurrection. I'm still understanding Pentecost. I'm still understanding being filled with the Spirit. I'm still understanding Christ in me. I'm still understanding that. So I haven't left off Passover and then graduated to Pentecost, and now I'm over here in Tabernacles. No, no, no. These things are working in me because they're Him. He's the fulfillment of Passover. He's the fulfillment of Pentecost, and he's the fulfillment of Tabernacles. So he's working in me. Just That's why it was a perpetual working going on in Israel, because he was going to perpetually work in you it as the fulfillment of all these things. And the mindset is, well, we move on from them. No, they're him. They're him. So we're not ever moving on from him. We may come to a full understanding of him, but we're not going to move on from him. There may be a complete understanding of Passover that comes into your heart. But he's always going to be the Passover lamb. He's always going to be the feeling of God. He's always going to be the fullness of God. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. So, so three times a year they met with the Lord. We meet him in Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. We meet him in death, burial, and resurrection. We come there in that house, in this working of God, and realize Christ as the fulfillment of the house. And we house that fulfillment. Now, that's the glory here. If, we, if you want to talk about the glory that we have, is we house the fulfillment of him. Now, that's glory. Because we're housing what he's done. What he's done, what I'm saying, is what he's done is being made sure real there's so many words trying to say it in us we're housing it the tabernacle of it the temple of it so it becomes this sure thing in us of him so as we look at this house you know i preached for years you're the temple of the living god but I'll tell you what, I see it bigger today than I've ever seen it. Because I see the housing of what he is in a people. And a people being built up in who and what he is. That's what I see. That's what I see. And that people walking in it. You know, walking in 
the comprehension of the altar. Understanding what took place, the judgment of the cross. The blood on the mercy seat. Coming to the comprehension of his death. Carried all the way into the Holy of Holies. Why did it need to be carried in there? Because no flesh glories in the presence of the Lord. You come into the presence of the Lord and that cross is still working there. The blood is still applied. Yes, sir. Goes all the way into the house, comes back out of the house. Read it. Touches the house. Yes, all the way into the glory. And, and you see in this house, when this house is constructed, what happens when, when Solomon builds the house? When Moses finishes the tabernacle, the glory of the Lord comes in. And he comes in as a cloud and a fire. Sets upon the mercy seat. <laughs> think, think about that. He set up on that seat of mercy. And all under that seat was the law. Think about it. The judgment of the law. And on that judgment of the law, the Ten Commandments were placed, the book or the rock placed inside of the ark with a seed of mercy on it and blood touching that seed. The, the, you could say the, break, the, the payment for the breaking of the law, a seed of mercy. But consider the seat of God today. You know, we can go back and look at that old seat. But we're in such a greater administration. Because it wasn't the blood of animals that went into the Holy of Holies. The blood that couldn't purify our conscience. The blood that required a continual remembrance. No. It was a blood that said you are forever sanctified. You are forever set apart to God. The work has been done. You are his. And we comprehend this in a person. That we belong unto the Lord. Through Christ, in Christ. It's in the person. He takes away the first. The first that could never sanctify the soul. The first that can never remove the sin from the consciousness. He takes that away. And he establishes the second. That that sanctifies the soul. That that removes the sin. From your conscience. How, and you say, well, how do I walk in it? By knowing him. By knowing him. Knowing him in all these 
pieces of furniture and what they represent. Yeah, so every, everything there speaks of him. And our union with him, the glory of that is we're united in it. Our union with him. Housing his glory. Now, to those Jewish folks he was speaking to when he told them that building had come to an end. probably catastrophic because their understanding was probably just like that torn up because I'm sure they were thinking this is the Messiah he's coming here to set up the kingdom he's going to set up on David's throne we're going to rule and reign with him Sounds sort of like many people today. And Jesus says not one stone will be left upon another. And see, that's exactly what happened. As he begins to fill us up, not one stone of that old covenant understanding stays. Doesn't stay. We begin to see the picture of the old covenant as a type and shadow of him. We, we no longer see an incomplete situation. We see a complete situation. Not one stone is allowed to stay in us in our minds, in our hearts. The whole thing is torn down. We have a whole nother view of that house. I don't know if you, you realize you have a whole nother view of that house than you used to have, but you do. If you've come to see the house fulfilled in him, you've got a different view than you ever had before. You don't see the washing laver as you did before. It's just a, a instrument to wash the priest, but you see that labor speaking of the washing of Christ. And not only do you see it as the speaking, speaking of the washing of Christ, you experience it. You begin to experience him as your washing, as your cleansing. Have you ever experienced him as your cleansing? Cleansing your mind, cleansing your heart, cleansing your understanding. Yes. You experience him as your light. You come to a whole nother understanding. You come to a whole nother comprehension because you're no longer seeing out of your own understanding. You're seeing in his. And you begin to eat that bread. And your whole being begins to change. Man, what a house we're in. That it be filled with his glory. 
And I think on that word glory a lot. The awesomeness of him, the splendor of him. One of the definitions of glory, I believe, is splendor. When the Old Testament, you know, you can, you can go through a lot of God's glory and splendor. You can go back and how he created the world. He did this. He did that. All that is glorious. But he led Israel out of Egypt. He dashed in pieces the army of the Egyptians in the Red Sea. The hand of the Lord is valiant. So they were beholding his glory. They were declaring what he's done. Hear me. We are a house that's declaring what he's done. We are a house that's being filled up with the glory of him and what he's done. That's what this house is. A people filled with the glory of him that's declaring what he's done. My Lord, what a glory. He has disrobed, disarmed the enemy. He has made us one with himself that they may be one as we are one. I and them, thou and me that they be made perfect in one. If you can't see the Ark of the Covenant there, the cherubim of glory overshadowing and looking at the appearing of the Lord, Jesus saying, they may be one. And you read in, in the book of, I believe, Exodus, it says it's beaten of one beaten work of gold. It's beaten through him. It's him making this union. Glory to God. A heavenly being beholding Christ, transformed into that that he is. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. What glory! That's in the church. Ever surpassing glory of the first, change from the glory of the first into the glory of the second, who is Christ himself, an ever-increasing glory of him. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. And you begin to see that, that he took the veil of flesh, the veil of carnality upon himself. He destroyed it. He crucified it. And you're partaking of him. Now that's a house of glory, honey. You know, some of this I had planned on getting to in the coming weeks, so we'll probably go over it. But God brought them out to a house, a house of his habitation in the old. A house that they their whole life revolved around. That's what I'm telling you. Come to a house that your entire life revolves around because you are ever knowing him that fills up the house with himself. And that's what you've come to. Glory to God. I'll stop here tonight. We'll... Continue this the next time I share.
Amen.